Welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown for Wednesday, April 28th. My name is Tom Hollingsworth, and I am your squirrely co-host. And joining me for this episode is the moose with the most, Mr. Stephen Foskett. Stephen, thanks for flying in. How are you today? It's good to be here. Good to be here. Hiding out from the bears. Well, you definitely should do that. The wildlife out there is crazy. Um, we've got a great lineup of stories coming to you this week. So let's jump into story number one. Stephen, take it away. Well, thanks, Tom. Uh, so as we often do, we're going to talk about security here. Um, so HashiCorp found itself in a bit of an interesting situation this week, uh, revoking a private signing key after it was exposed on the internet. Uh, CodeCov, an auditing tool designed to help developers test their code, was compromised. And uh, this ran scripts that collected data from various companies implementing their tool. The malicious uh, scripts uh, collected sensitive data, including private keys used to sign software patches, and the breach could have allowed malicious users to install software that appeared uh, legitimate. Uh, HashiCorp quickly revoked the signing key and rotated to a new key, but uh, said it will be monitoring the situation. It also urged users to become be more vigilant in uh, using exposed keys uh, to validate software. Um, this has been a big issue overall, but this was a particularly clever angle on it, wasn't it, Tom? Yeah, it really was. I think the problem that we're running into now is that the people who are doing these kinds of attacks really understand that the keys to the kingdom, both literally and figuratively, are these code signing certificates. We've seen this with other malware that's able to be dropped on systems with proper authentication credentials. I mean, when you think back about something like, remember the, the big Komodo uh, issue where they were basically just handing out tickets or signing certificates to anybody who wanted them. And now all of a sudden a whole bunch of malware shows up with a little lock icon on it. Oh, this is verified by, by Komodo. Well, doing it with the HashiCorp signing key would be problematic. So props to HashiCorp for figuring out that this thing got exposed. But now this is going to raise a whole bunch of questions for a company like CodeDev, because if the scripts were injected into CodeDev software, HashiCorp wasn't the target. A lot of other companies were too. What did they get away with that we don't know about? I'm still waiting to see how this is going to turn out. Um, the other thing too is don't just blindly click. Check the validation logs. Make sure that the certificate that you're using is in the right time frame and it it hasn't been invalidated you might actually have to turn on crl checking because if you don't what you're going to end up with is nasty stuff all over your system that's going to be very hard to get out of there and the only person you really have to blame is your clicking finger all right stephen it's a bad day to be a golden gopher if you're a linux fan because the university of minnesota has found itself banned from submitting all linux kernel patches because they ran afoul of Greg Croa Hartman, who is one of the leaders of the community. Now, the reason why this happened is because UMN was previously caught submitting a series of mangled patches to the Linux kernel, and then they wrote a paper on their findings because what they were trying to prove is that if you were sneaky, you could cause vulnerabilities in open source software unintentionally, or in their case, intentionally. Well, that got on the radar of our fine friends over at the Linux kernel mailing list. And so this week, surprise, surprise, the University of Minnesota started submitting a whole bunch of mangled patches. Now, uh, Crow Hartman decided he wanted to jump into the middle of the spray, and the lead researcher at the University of Minnesota was like, no, 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 these were submitted by an automated tool. And he went, the crap they are, 
So he banned them from all future content or uh, all future contributions to the open source project for, and I quote, bad faith intent to cause problems. Now, Stephen, open source is a hot topic amongst people in the community, and we've seen all kinds of crazy things happening over it for the last year. Was it right to ban an entire group of people submitting patches summarily with the sign off in an email, or were the Linux kernel devs really protecting their own here, and did they do the right thing? They did the right thing. Um, this is, uh, the more I learned about it, the more angry I got, and I was would have banned the whole school too. Um, essentially, these graduate students were testing the feasibility of, of compromising open source by submitting um, bad, known bad patches. And that's what GKH said in his email, and he was right. I mean, they created a thing that would submit junk to the Linux kernel and um, in order to try to get um, vulnerabilities in it. The paper was called on the feasibility of stealthily introducing vulnerabilities in open source software via hypocrite commits. In other words, they were trying to introduce vulnerabilities into the Linux kernel. And I have been to college and I know a lot of people who are grad students. Grad students don't just do stuff. Grad students have to get permission from their advisors to do stuff. Therefore, grad students doing bad stuff reflects badly on the college. And frankly, this was really bad and it should reflect badly on the college and whoever approved this graduate student project should be censured for it because you don't screw with things that are actual important things. I mean, imagine, um, you know, you were doing a, a study on, you know, how to shoplift from the local grocery store you know, and then you get caught for it and you say, oh, well, I was just doing a graduate student study here. Uh, so, so you can't get mad at me. You know what? I think that store might ban you. I think GKH was right. Now, I think they're going to let them commit to the kernel in the future, but maybe they've learned a lesson here that you don't mess with like the freaking Linux kernel. Knock it off. So in other news, uh, the ongoing story of the Emotet malware framework continues, and it took an unexpected turn this week with uh, viral software being deleted from all infected computers. Poof, it was never there. Uh, the move was made by the Dutch police in coordination with a global security task force designed to bring a halt to the spread of this malware. The agency sent an up update to infected systems that deleted the malicious code and removed it on Sunday evening. Researchers at Malwarebytes confirmed that their infected test machine was automatically expunged. Tom, this reminds me of what we talked about last week with the FBI fixing people's exchange servers. Um, what does this mean? Well, I think it's funny that the first time I heard about Emotet was last February when a friend of mine, Heather Williams, brought it up. She goes, if you don't know what this is, you really need to figure it out because it is spreading quickly and it is a massive problem. Most of the people out there who follow our show that are security experts are probably sitting there nodding their heads. One of the reasons why it was so dangerous is because it would go to sleep for a few weeks while the authors of the malware refined their delivery mechanisms. So they were always trying to stay one step ahead of the researchers that were trying to take care of it. 
Well, what happened next was they got raided by the police. The Dutch police showed up and basically confiscated all of their server hardware. And it was a global coordinated effort. They took down the authors, the hardware, all of the CNC servers all at once. So there was no chance for this thing to survive. But then they realized, wait, we have access to all of the stuff that they were using. Why don't we put it to good use? So I think that this is a different story than what the FBI did because the FBI went into the system and patched your system for you. The Dutch police just created a script inside of the Emotet CNC servers and said, delete yourself, delete the run registry keys and reboot the server and it's gone. So they, and we've seen some malware that's been hijacked to do this in the past. And it's always a little iffy about, well, how, do I trust people to do this? What could happen? Honestly, the best thing that the Dutch police can do now is that they've cleaned the infection from all the um, affected devices is to shut the CNC servers down, impound them somewhere, make sure that the authors of this malware enjoy a long, fine stay in an institution where they can be rehabilitated and never touch a computer again. And we can move on to whatever the next security disaster is going to be. But I love the fact that they basically used their own software to get rid of the software. I mean, that's quite possibly one of the most poetic endings to this whole thing. All right, um, we had a couple of stories that we wanted to make sure to take a closer look at this week. And one of them is an exciting new announcement. Um, friend of Tech Field Day, Scality, is talking about their newest cloud native object storage solution called Arteska. The Scaleout solution is currently exclusively available from HPE for the next six months and uses Amazon's S3 interface to provision storage for stateful containers. It integrates with Scality's existing ring architecture and offers customers options to support Kubernetes deployments across a wide variety of providers. Now, Scality is saying that the current targets for this use are cloud-native IoT edge deployments, AI and ML, and big data and analytics. So basically the big three use cases that you would have for containers right now. Steven, you recently got an up close and personal look at Arteska at Tech Field Day. What did you learn about it? Boy, did I. Yeah, we did a, a we were part of the launch. I mean, full disclosure, you know, scale it. Gestalt IT does projects with companies. We do Tech Field Day um, and we were partners in this launch. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's not an important launch for the industry. In fact, it is. Um, one of the things that uh, we've noticed is that as enterprises are beginning to adopt cloud native infrastructure, they're finding that a lot of the cloud native tools that they would like to use or that the sort of default tools out there really aren't enterprise ready, aren't enterprise focused. And so for that reason, um, smart companies in the industry are starting to develop products that are more enterprise friendly, but are no less cloud native. And, and that's really what Arteska is. So you know, kind of going back to the future here, uh, Scality's ring is uh, one of the biggest, baddest, you know, most proven uh, gymungous object storage systems out there for enterprises. And it's been, um, it's been out there for a long time. Uh, Scality, a few years back, introduced something called Zanko, which is kind of an S3 um, layer in front of object storage as an open source project. And uh, that's been a really cool project. And I know a lot of people are using it, but it really wasn't a product. Um, Arteska is something entirely different, even though it could sound a little the same as one of both of those. Arteska is basically a brand new object store. It's cloud native, truly cloud native. It's built in containers. It's, you know, coordinated with Kubernetes. It's, it's real deal cloud. Um, but it starts real small, 
well, real small for cloud object stores, which is, you know, still terabytes, but it starts real small and it goes real big. Um, and it's designed basically to be used by enterprises when they're deploying cloud native applications, you know, not applications that wouldn't use Ring. So in my uh, summary tweet, I said, this is kind of an iPad versus a MacBook. In other words, you know, the Ring is sort of the big do anything object store that enterprises use every day. So that's like the laptop, right? Uh, Arteska is kind of a little portable, flexible tool for certain use cases, um, you know, and then that's kind of the metaphorical tablet. So that's really what they've done here. Um, it's a pretty cool product. Uh, it's pretty easy. You know, some of the things I think that are most interesting about it are kind of non-product things. So uh, it's free under 50 terabytes. Um, it's uh, billed as a service instead of uh, from an enterprise purchasing perspective, and it's partnered with HPE. So HPE is going to be delivering basically proven hardware platforms to sit underneath this thing. So basically, as an audience, what you should think about is basically this, this is the answer to the question that I put at the beginning, which is, okay, we're an enterprise, we need to deploy cloud native next generation applications, we need an object store, which object store are we going to use? Arteska is intended to be the answer to that question. So Stephen, I guess the question that I would have being someone who's not 100% uh, storage um, fluent is, is Arteska kind of designed to get people on, the, on the, the, the path to object storage for those smaller deployments, but then as they see how quickly it grows, then eventually to kind of transition all of it into Ring to kind of give them a, a much more robust option without having to do like a complete forklift. Well, not to stretch my metaphor too far, but, but kind of like the iPad or the iPhone is sort of an entree into the Apple ecosystem. I do think that Scality sees this as a way to get customers into the Scality world. But that being said, just like if you have an iPhone, you don't necessarily need to go buy a MacBook. I think that this thing is certainly usable and, and very usable, very useful, very, it doesn't need ring at all, ever. In fact, I think most impl implementations of it are going to be kind of standalone on a on a application by application basis. Um, a lot of it, I think, is going to be used in the edge, uh, you know, used for collecting metrics and telemetry and AI data. And, and none of that stuff needs to go to the you know scality ring necessarily. So, yeah, I think that I think we're pretty safe there. But that being said, there is compatibility there, and certainly. Uh, once you get a taste of a massive scale object store, you may be like, hey, I wonder if we could use this for that other thing. And, and maybe that's what they're going for here. So Tom, there was a, a really fun story that I really wanna talk about here with you this week. Um, honestly, this is probably my favorite tech news story of the year. So many of us have heard of Celebrite, which is a company that makes tools that specifically are designed to break into phones and extract forensics data. This is basically cop tools. Um, the, the popular devices are used by several organizations that are getting interested in getting through the privacy walls that Apple has put up around iOS. And Celebrite has been well, kind of jerks about bragging about how they can break into iOS devices and, and so on. Well, they recently bragged that they could break into Signal. And that was maybe not such a good idea because Signal's Moxie Marlin Spike, uh, he, he created it. Well, he's not gonna take something like that lying down. 
so uh, he claims that he found one of these devices that, quote, fell off a truck. And he did some forensics investigation of his own of the Celebrite application. And he found that it was basically junk, that you could cause buffer overflows, and it had a bunch of outdated software in it. And effectively, he could execute arbitrary code on the Celebrite system and take over the system, crash it, modify data, uh, display cute messages inspired by favorite movies from the 90s, whatever you want to do with it. And uh, so he posted these things to the Signal blog. And then he said, and this is where it gets fun, he said, you know, um, there's no way that anyone can tell whether this is happening or not, and it could silently modify data. And oh, by the way, we've also added the ability for Signal to download useless files that serve no purpose. And we can change those and download those at will. Have fun. And, and effectively, what this did was stuck a big wooden stake in the heart of this privacy vampire. Um, is that how you took it, Tom? Yeah, I, I saw this story. And I, the more I read of it, the more I just, I was, well, first of all, I'm glad I'm a Signal user, because this is the kind of person you want advocating for your privacy. The rush of people that downloaded Signal, not because they wanted to use it, but because they wanted to have these protections built into their system was significant because, I mean, he basically said, we're going to do everything we can to F up these Celebrite boxes. And how bad was it? Celebrite issued a press release today, and they said, we have patched the vulnerabilities that were discovered in our system. Oh, by the way, we are no longer 100% compatible with all iPhones because it turns out that if you turn on the deep collection scanning system, which is like their crown jewel, it may cause unintended side effects. So we are disabling it by default. And I'm sure what that meant was you need to make really sure that they are not using signal on their phone before you try to use this box on it. Because if you do, you're gonna brick the box, you're gonna get garbage data, you're not gonna be able to use any of it. And then you're gonna come whining to us. And because we're a bunch of big jerks, we don't wanna help you out with it. Because let's be fair, they don't make money supporting their products, they make money selling them. And so I applaud Moxie Marlin Spike for his uh, detective skills of finding the right truck that had things fall off the back of it and for cracking this thing apart and realizing that it was basically a hobby kit that somebody had put together and then said, oh, why don't we sell this to people who don't know any better? And the other thing that I thought was a really interesting point was that uh, he found some Apple DLLs that were basically used in Windows boxes to allow access to iPhones. And he's like, I don't think Apple's going to like this much at all. And that hammer is going to fall like Mjolnir when we get done, because Apple is probably just going to walk in and be like, no, don't do this. Here's a cease and desist. We have enough money to erase your existence if you mess with us. And we've seen Apple do this before in a situation where uh, one, there was an iPhone that was used in a crime and the law enforcement companies were using a product. I don't remember if it was Celebrite or if it was something very similar to it. And uh, the, the company had sued, or the law enforcement agency had sued Apple to unlock the phone until they got a hold of it. And then they said, oh, we're going to drop the lawsuit. Well, Apple countersued them and said, no, we want to know how you're getting into the phone because we want to patch the hole. And like it, it created this huge back and forth because obviously Apple's at least from their public statements are committed to user privacy, which is why they can't recover the keys used to unlock your iPhone. If it locks itself, there's no way for them to get into it, nor will they ever create one because of things like this. So, I mean, yes, 
I understand the need for law enforcement agencies to be able to get into these phones. But on the flip side of things, the way that they were going about doing it looked to be pretty haphazard at best and destructive at worst. And all it took was a committed developer with a disassembler and a penchant for trolling, and he completely invalidated a tool. So Moxie, bravo to you for that. Yeah, I would just want to point out too that even though Celebrate says that the thing is patched, there's no indications that it is. Um, I mean, just ask yourself, can you create a system that is 100% invulnerable? Can you create a system that is that will not have um, buffer overflows, will not have any kind of you know, security issue? Now that this has been shown in proof of concept that a application on an iPhone can contain a modified file that is malicious that can break your law enforcement, you know, encryption cracking tool in a, in a way that could be invisible to you. Can you, can law enforcement, can courts ever trust this, this tool again? Uh, could, could courts entrust it anyway? I mean, that's the thing that kind of makes me kind of scratch my head too. This thing was being was being used in very important um, criminal cases, uh, terrorism cases, and it was garbage. It was hacked together. I mean, he said that the, the version of FFmpeg they were using was 10 years out of date. You know, the DLLs, uh, you know, were snatched from somebody else and being used for something they weren't supposed to be used for. I mean, this is not a, a, a legit tool for law enforcement. In my mind, this is a a way to break in and 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 not in a good way. I mean, I I feel like if I was a judge, I would be very I, I would look askance at any data collected from Celebrate going forward. Um, you know, I think a lot of us have kind of a love hate relationship with Apple and with encryption and things like that. And frankly, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I bet that Apple kind of liked that Celebrate existed because it meant they didn't have to get dragged into court to do something they couldn't do, which is break into people's iPhones. I mean, I take that at face value that Apple can't get into your stuff. So in a way, Celebrate was almost an emergency release valve for Apple. In other words, you know, don't, don't take us into court. We really don't want to do that. You know, what if there was a tool that could do... So I imagine Apple probably didn't mind that Celebrate existed, but now that they've seen this, I think that they have to mind because that now that they know that Celebrate was illegally, in my opinion, distributing their DLLs and was you know pretty haphazard and shoddy, uh, yeah. So I, I I don't think that Celebrate fixed this thing. I don't think we've heard the end of it. I definitely do think that Apple is maybe going to have to say, yeah, okay, we're going to sue them about this because they can't allow people to misuse their software like that and to you know, distribute it without the right licenses and things. They just can't do that. Um, and, and similarly, I don't think we've heard the last from Moxie Marlin Spike and Signal on this thing too, because no matter what Celebrite says, even if they're not scanning Signal, that doesn't mean they're not scanning other applications. And the message that I took away from this is that I could send you a text message containing a Celebrite buster. I could tweet at you with a Celebrite buster. I could put something in your files or in your Dropbox and any of those could break it just as easily as Signal. And I think that that's probably what happens next. You know, that's the next chess move is we're gonna have Celebrite busters all over the place or at least purported Celebrite busters. And 
even if it doesn't actually work, purported is good enough maybe to keep this stuff from being used in court. So uh, this is a major change in terms of how law enforcement is going to handle encrypted phones. Yeah, I think that this is not done yet. And like you said, there's a lot of legal ramifications for this. Um, be very careful about how you proceed going forward. Uh, I'm not going to tell you how to do your jobs, but a little good old-fashioned law enforcement work might not hurt right now. All right, a uh, little bit of a lighter story to close out here, Stephen. In case you thought you had ISP issues, I'd like to introduce you to Tumblr Ridge, British Columbia. This sleepy little Canadian town of around 900 people found itself cut off from the internet on Saturday morning. After investigating the incident, the crack team from TELUS was able to determine that an eager little beaver had chewed through the fiber line that connected the town to TELUS's backbone. Now, how eager was this beaver, you ask? The fiber was encased in a five-inch conduit, three feet underground. Uh, no word on the certifications that the beaver held or whether or not it was part of a secret conspiracy with the backhoe operators to initiate a global fiber apocalypse. Um, I think it was off. the bears. It was it, the it, bears. They they're working it. in concert right now. That, that has to be what it is. Hats off to our friend, the beaver. I hope that you haven't damned yourself from being able to get a job in IT in the future. All right, that'll just about do it for this episode of The Rundown. Thank you very much for tuning in. We apologize. The jokes don't get any better than this. Um, Steven, you've got a busy week coming up. Uh, what's going on in your neck of the woods? Uh, well, we just had our Tech Field Day event last week. And as I said, uh, yesterday was the Scality Artesca launch. So next week, I'm going to put my feet up. I'm going to go to the spa. I'm going to get a massage. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. No, I'm going to be doing more of the same stuff, videos and podcasts and all that kind of stuff. Maybe tune in on Tuesdays for the Utilizing AI podcast. That'd be a nice way to hear from me. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You can get your fix of all things AI, and then you can come back on Wednesday at 1230 Eastern time to catch your latest episode of the Gestalt IT Rundown featuring myself and Steven, and sometimes an occasional guest host if one of us is busy fighting the global bear beaver conspiracy. Um, you can also check out gestaltit.com for all of the great things that we do, not only utilizing AI, but we also have on-premise IT roundtable podcasts. We have conversations check some unboxing videos and a bunch of other content that you won't want to miss uh, that should tide you over until next week when we'll be back with another great episode of the rundown we'll try to include the rest of the members of the animal kingdom so if you have any exciting stories about lions and tigers and moose oh my please make sure you tweet them at us at gestalt it we will be happy to include your favorite story in the rundown but for now for myself tom hollingsworth for my excellent co-host mr stephen foskett and for all of the members of wild kingdom we want to thank you very much for tuning in and have a great day